I've been held captive twice in my life. Once at the hand of another and later by the unresolved pain and the shame of my past. When I was 16, one of my best friends and her mother were brutally murdered. They were killed by the estranged and abusive husband of my friend's stepsister when he showed up at their home distraught about the separation. My friend's death added to the spiraling depression that I was already experienced, experiencing and I was later hospital, hospitalized for attempted suicide. Two months after my release from the hospital, I was assaulted by a childhood friend. Ashamed, I never spoke of it again. Shortly after I began dating a young man, we quickly became engaged and I moved into his small apartment. I was just 17 at the time. I was honestly surprised at the first time he hit me. Every, over time, every argument erupted in violence and always ended the same. Tackling me to the ground, he would strangle me until I passed out. Soon I knew, it was, knew what was coming and would beg to submit on my own. The familiar blacking out sensation would come as a relief, not only from the excruciating pain of his weight on my chest, but also from the also from the terror. And when I awoke, I would be lying on the floor alone in the dark, one hand, one hand handcuffed to, another, to, another, to one foot. Dozing off again, I would often wake to his sobs and profuse apologies, reassuring me that it was because of his love, for, of his love and fear of losing me that he would use restraints. Other nights, I woke to him sharpening knives. He told me he would kill us both if I ever left. I believed him. Remembering how my dear friend had died, I felt I could never risk going to my family for help. It took nearly two years before I found the courage to leave. The years following were spent largely suppressing those memories and self-medicating with alcohol. Relationships and working long hours in an effort to numb the pain. Later, I married a man who that taught me that love is gentle and kind. Together we started a family and I was happy to leave the past behind me. But as I found out, unresolved pain just waits. How we all need to hear those words, unresolved pain just waits. I will give you the conclusion of that amazing story at the end of this message. We greet all of you in Christ's name, and we welcome you to the exposition of God's Word. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, or you're welcome to follow me on the PowerPoint. Um, one of the things we do here as a congregation is that is we regularly, on a regular basis, we read the Word of God. And that's healthy. It's one of those things that the Apostle Paul uh, encouraged Timothy to regularly uh, to read the Word of God. You see, it's not just any word that we read, it's God's Word. It's the only thing that you will ever pick up that is God-breathed. In fact, if God were with us today, if you stood in this pulpit in bodily form, these were the words that God would speak to us. And that's why they're so important that you hear them. 
Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say, not, say unto thee, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. That's about ten million dollars. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, the Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down, worshiping him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will, repay, I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, that would be about nineteen dollars. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his, when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst thou not have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, that's the torturers, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Let's bow. Lord, how searching are those words. Words spoken by Jesus and recorded by Matthew, words that are still true, words that Jesus would still speak to us today. Lord, we, we embrace those words, how they apply and, and how they should be lived. And we realize that most, most to be like you, we are most like you when we forgive, and that forgiving is Christ-likeness. Lord, we also understand how in unforgiveness you, you turn us over to the tormentors, the torturers. We've all experienced nights like that. And even now, there are some sitting here today who are experiencing it now. Torturous nights, sleepless and restless nights, struggles and conflicts through the day, uneasiness and anxiety that just never seems to stop because we give sanctuary to an unforgiving spirit. Lord, today I embrace the authority of your word. Speak to my heart first and reveal any area where I might still be harboring unforgiveness. 
And Lord, today as we look back over the last few years of our lives, we all see moments that we were weak, discouraged, and incompetent, even feeling like failures, just seeming to be unable to do what we should be doing. But Lord, as we look at you, we realize that you have experienced none of this the last few years. You've had no frustrations. You've never had one surprise. You're never caught off guard. You never lack power or the ability to handle what happens. In fact, you accomplished everything precisely as you have planned, exactly as the Father has determined in his will. You are our great God, and we bow before you. You are worthy of all the praise that we humanly can give. That, thank you for the way that you bless us and teach us. Lord, as we sit and listen to your word, remind us continually how that you are greater than anything around us, our government, election, our jobs, or any personal situation or concern that any of us have. Help us today to hear your word with our heart. Lord, you are a great God, and you are our hiding place. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen. Well, forgiveness seems to be one of those courses that God requires us to take in life. It just isn't optional. And uh, if that isn't tough enough, uh, God gives us these pop quizzes along life's way. Uh, Situations in life where God... uh, uh, we come into where we are, have to ask someone else's forgiveness. And if that isn't tough enough, we come into a situation where someone comes to us and asks us to extend forgiveness. And, uh, you know, there's, some, there's nothing that is more freeing than forgiveness. You know, even though this morning that we come from all walks of life, have different backgrounds and different parents, There's one thing that all of us have in common, and that is we all have someone that we need to forgive. In one way or another in life, we've all been taken advantage of uh, or or wronged in some way. And uh, it might be as simple as someone saying something about you or behind your back. Uh, It might be perhaps something more vicious like a verbal assault or a physical abuse or sexual abuse. It might be a fractured relationship with a friend or a family member, a sibling or a parent, or perhaps even a pastor. But in one way or another, we have all been taken advantage of, and so that is why this morning... This message is so relevant for all of you to hear. I'm going to be going to beginning in Matthew 5. First of all, that is the flip side of the coin. There's actually two uh, parts to this coin. 
Matthew 18 is for those who have been offended, and Matthew 5 is for those who have offended someone. So we're beginning, going to begin with those who have offended someone. You see in Matthew 5, it's, 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 uh, is a, is a, of course, the Sermon on the Mount is taught by Jesus, and it's one of those sermons we've been enjoying by Pastor Laverne. And it's, it's, a, it's a sermon that is, there's no sermon that is more analyzed and more taught than the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of those sermons that helps us to understand the value of just being real and genuine and uh, understanding what, uh, what it is to experience life into the fullest that God has given us. I want you to see the, the, the two verses, verses 23 and 24, and the subject is reconciliation. The steps that you need to take when you wrong someone. That's a wrong that has caused a breakdown in the relationship. Now notice the setting. The setting is one who comes to worship. He is, says in verse 23, he is bringing his gift to the altar. In the first century, that's how people worship. They, you would worship by bringing an animal or part of an animal or some gift to the altar, and you sacrificed it. And at that moment, you connected in prayer and in worship with God. It says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and thou rememberst that thy brother hast ought against thee, you're to stop. You're at the altar and you remember someone has a grudge or something against you. There's something that has happened that you have wronged someone else. The first instruction is for you to stop. As far as I know, this is the only place in Scripture where we are to give the instruction to stop praying if there is something that we've done to wrong someone else. Verse 24 says, Leave thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, then come after, then come and offer thy gift. So there's four simple steps to this. They are simply stop, stop what you're doing at the altar, stop the worship, stop the prayer, go to the one that you've offended, be reconciled, and then return back to the altar or the worship. Stop your praying. Don't ignore it. Don't rationalize it. Don't silence the voice of the Holy Spirit that is telling you that you, you are wrong. If you've caused the offense, you've hurt him or her, you've wronged someone, you need to make it right. Now that key word is in verse 24, and it's the word reconciled. It's the Greek word dialoso. And it means to be changed thoroughly. And one of, those, the base, one of those base Greek words that makes up that word is the Greek preposition dia. And it means to go through something. For, for, reconcili for reconciliation to happen, there's a process one must go through. Um, and, and when you go through that process, healing is able to happen. That word reconciliation means to change thoroughly. 
when you're willing to go through the process, there will be a thorough, God promises to you, a thorough change. Uh, and there's just healing that takes place in that process. Throughout the years, Mom and I, and God rest her soul, I loved Mom. But throughout the years in our relationship, there were things that, there were positions that Mom took that strained our relationship. And there were times I, I caught myself putting some distance into our relationship. But one of the things that mom did the last day that mom was able to speak, one of the things that mom did is she, she asked my forgiveness. And even though I had forgiven mom long before that, there's something about, some healing about those words, can you forgive me? I can't explain it. I can only say it just seemed like a part of my heart was made complete. And uh, I assured mom of my forgiveness. In this process, ideally it has to happen face to face. No words of blame. No excuses. Don't try to rationalize at what you've done. Don't try to minimize what you've done. Don't justify yourself. Admit it. Go and be reconciled and then come back to worship. Don't stop to consider the age, your age or your position or your last name. Nor do you go through the list of the wrongs of the person that you've offended. You deal with your slate and you got, allow God to deal with the other person's slate. And it may well be that the person you wrong doesn't forgive right away. Sometimes it, people need time to forgive. You leave that response to God. So there are two principles. If you've wronged someone, two principles I want to give you today. The first principle is this. God honors immediate obedience. Don't wait till the other person is deceased. Uh, that might be taking it to an extreme, but allow me to share you a real-life instance. In my relationship with mom, mom had a lot of emotional struggles. And uh, I knew mom would never be open to any kind of counseling. And as I began to understand this biblical counseling that, was, that uh, is, uh, Mel H. does, that, uh, Grace Haven, there was one day, one afternoon, I was just prompted by God to go and spend time with mom. And uh, that day, as I sat down that afternoon, I sat there, I got off of work and sat down with mom. I, and I explained to her that uh, we're just going to, to pray and we're going to, anybody that God brings to her mind, the Holy Spirit brings to her mind, we, anybody that's wronged her, or we are going to forgive. And you know, a number of those individuals she brought to mind were people who were deceased. One of those, in, one of those things was when she was just a small child. 
She described a discipline. She didn't call it discipline. She described a beating in which she was innocent. She was 70-some years old. She remembered it just like yesterday. And uh, I led mom in prayer. Asked her to be willing to pay for the pain like Jesus did and forgive that person so she could be free. The deceased people didn't need her prayer. Mom needed to be set free. And uh, that day we took back some of the ground that she had given Satan in her heart we replaced it with peace and love. The point is, don't carry the trash of the past. And, and the last thing all of you need is to have to go through some visitation and, and realize there's some things that you just didn't are over. Some opportunities are gone. And to have to live with the regret of what what could have been or what might have been. Don't put it off. God is honored with immediate obedience. Secondly, others are healed by our vulnerable and honest confession. I, I don't proclaim to understand how this works or why it works. All I know is it works. Uh, for you men who were here the other Wednesday evening for the men's meeting, know what I'm talking about. It just works. There's healing that takes place when people are willing to be honest and vulnerable. Let's go back to Matthew 18. Now, we're going to be switching the roles. Uh, we're no longer dealing with the one who's a, who is the offender, but the one who is offended, the one who's been wronged. And in this case, it's been, it was Peter. Peter comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Now, I really think Peter thought he was being really generous. The reason was that the normal teaching of that day by the rabbis was that you forgive someone three times. And after the third time, you don't forgive. So Peter doubles it, adds one, thinks, you know what? I'm going to impress Jesus. I'm giving this person seven times. Then it says in verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven now, this needs some clarification. That doesn't mean at the 491st time you need to get to punch someone's lights out, right? The idea is that you, you lose, in forgiveness, you forgive and you lose count. You don't keep track in forgiving. You don't keep a list. I can imagine Peter kind of having his mouth open on this one. And, uh, 
As Peter stood there, Jesus gives him a story to consider. It's a story about a king and two slaves, and the king desires to settle his accounts. He is called the Curios. He's the Lord or the Master, and it's, it's a picture of our Heavenly Father. And uh, how that we operate, or how those who are in his kingdom, how they function. He says in verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. Now there's a spiritual meaning of this. This is how Christians conduct themselves. This is not about politics or, or the business world today. Most businesses don't operate on these kinds of principles. So the king naturally begins with the one who owes him the most. And when he began to reckon, he brought, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. This slave or this servant owed him about $10 million, and it was an enormous sum, and this servant was drowning in debt and bankrupt. It says in verse 25, But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, all that he had, and the payment to be made. Verse 26, And the servant therefore fell down, worshiping, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. I want you to notice grace. If you've never seen grace, watch this story unfold. It says in verse 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Wouldn't it be great if credit card companies would operate like this? You spend too much, they just say it's forgiven. It's not going to happen. They're living by a different kingdom. You guys know why this is so appealing? Because it's so different from our world. In our world, we keep lists. We keep accounts, we keep track, we hold grudges, and we never forget. You think that this slave would have been overwhelmed by what he was forgiven. But it says in verse 28, in that same... It says in verse 28, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. That's about 19 or 20 dollars. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. Grabs him by the throat and said, I'll have my last buck if I have to get it out of here. He's definitely a good banker, isn't he? He's going to make a profit. It says in verse 29, and his, fellow servants, and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He pleads, but is never heard. It says in verse 30, He would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came 
and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then the Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? Let's not go too fast here. Remember the spiritual implications of this. Remember your moment when you stood at the throne of grace and all the sin that you owed. It could have been so easy for God just to give you his wrath and his condemnation. The psalmist writes in 80, uh, chapter 85, God forgave you your iniquity and he covers your sin. There's something else that he says in that chapter that I just loved. It says mercy and truth met together. And then he adds, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That was the moment you stood at the throne of grace. In the light of that moment that God had with you, wouldn't it be hypocritical for you not to forgive someone else? Don't rationalize or allow yourself to make an excuse. But admit that the only good answer is, yes, I forgive. Verse 34 is the punishment for those who say no. And his Lord was wroth, and he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. A word tormentors is a noun, and it, it literally means a torturer, to torture or to put in anguish. It was used in Matthew 8, 6 to describe someone who is sick and in torment. And it is also used to in Luke's chapter 16 to describe the rich man in hell and in agony. One theologian adds that it is a marvelously expressive phrase that is used to describe what happens to us when we do not forgive another. It is an accurate description of the gnawing resentment and bitterness, the awful gall of hate and envy. It is a terrible feeling. We cannot get away from it. We feel it strongly the separation from another, and every time we think of them, we feel within the acid of resentment and hate eating away at our peace and calmness. This is the torturing that our Lord said will take place. I want you to notice that the story ends in verse 34 but the teaching continues on to verse 35. The parable ends in verse 34. The teaching, what Jesus is teaching, continues. Verse 35, 
so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. What's the heavenly Father going to do to the one who doesn't forgive? Torture. Jesus is saying, my heavenly Father will torture you if you don't forgive the one who's wronged you. And notice how he adds, from your heart. He's not talking about some mental acknowledgement or some mental mind game. He's talking about the place where you live, the place where you cannot hide. Forgiveness is to come from the deepest, most inner part of our being. If it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean anything. Can you imagine what Peter's expression must have been after Jesus told him this story? There are two principles I want to give to those of you that have been offended. The first principle is this, to refuse to forgive anyone of anything is hypocritical. You've been forgiven everything at the cross, and if you fail to understand that, you haven't been to the cross. You haven't met Jesus. Secondly, the one who refuses to forgive will experience inner torment. None of us get to escape this reality. When we refuse to forgive, torturing tar starts taking place. Now the rest of the story. Liz Stone writes, 15 years later, the walls that I had put up to protect myself came crashing down, and the memories came back flooding back as I suffered a nervous breakdown. My husband found me lying in a fetal position on the grass. Gently picking me up like a child, he took me home, unaware that it would become my world for a time. I had flashbacks and night terrors, waking up gasping for air and soaked in sweat. I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and agoraphobia. It was only when I stopped running and faced my past and turning my heart and will over to God that the process of healing began. I started talking about what I had lived through for the first time. I also felt prompted to write which unexpectedly spurred the forgiveness process. The first person I had to forgive was myself. I too had acted out of fear and pain and hurt people along the way. Not wanting to be judged by the mistakes of my past made it easier to see the humanity in others and to forgive. Twenty-five years after my escape, I began to feel the distinct impression that I needed to confront and to forgive my captor. After locating him on social media and with my husband at my side, I once again stood face to face with this man. He was visibly shaken when I looked him in the eye and said, asked him, if, do you remember me? 
As I was attempting to tell him why I'd come, he began to deny everything. Dropping my head briefly, I began to wonder how I could, still, could really still forgive him. And softly the answer came. Forgiveness is mine to give. Your response, your response, your reaction is irrelevant. With the power that swelled inside me, I again met his eyes and said, even though you aren't able to stand here and be a man right now, I forgive you. I handed him a letter I had written, and I walked away, and in that letter, I wrote that my experience with him had taught me more about the resiliency of the human spirit, the love of God, and his awareness of each, of, each one of us, the power of forgiveness, the beauty of second chances than anything else I'd ever experienced. I told him I forgave him because I no longer wished to be held captive by the memories. By forgiving him, I felt liberated. I love her last words. Forgiveness is the key that liberates the captive. Forgiveness is a required course in the life that we are living. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful again to be in your house today. Grateful not so much for the house, but grateful that you are here and you are present with us. Thank you for your word today. Thank you that it is alive and it is relevant and it still speaks to each of us. Thank you for helping us to hear today. Lord, give us the faith and the courage, the strength, to walk in it now. To forgive if we've wrong, or to ask forgiveness if we've wronged, and to forgive for those who've wronged us. And now to him who's able to present you faultless before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy, and to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.